Hi, I'm Amber Cook. Welcome to my podcast, The Dragonfly Connection. Join me every week for open, honest, and real conversations about courage, transformation, and resilience to inspire and empower you to live your best life. This podcast is sponsored by HealingWays.com, helping you on your wellness journey. Visit HealingWays, that's Healing, W-A-Z-E dot com to find verified wellness professionals and holistic health resources. I need to be me. This is my life. That's one of my favorite quotes from my guest, Lorianne Rising. Lorianne grew up in an emotionally and psychologically abusive home and is what is common, unfortunately. She entered a marriage that was similar. It took her 49-year-old mother having a brain aneurysm to wake her up, beginning her journey of healing and putting the pieces of herself back together. The journey continued after her divorce through the use of EMDR therapy. Even with my experience in the healthcare world, I wasn't sure what EMDR was, so I looked it up. EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. That is a mouthful. And it sounds really strange, but it's actually a very powerful psychotherapy technique, which can be very effective in treating trauma-related disorders. And Lorianne said it's what really made the most impact in her healing. Lori's intention was to heal herself and build a better life for her kids. But in a dark, ironic twist of events, it was that healing journey that she believes sparked a chain of events that led to one of the most painful things she, as a mother, could have imagined. Although my story is different from Lori's, as a mother of a recovering addict who ran away at 16 and stayed gone, I could definitely relate to the pain she felt in her mama heart, the lost hope and the shame among many different emotions surrounding her situation. In our conversation, you'll learn more about the darkest parts of Lori's story, and then we'll learn how she was able to rebuild herself and her life. Not only is she living her purpose and passion, she now helps other women reconnect with their purpose and live a joy-filled life. She's also a double podcast host and the international award-winning author of the book, You Rising, Reclaim Your Life, Live Your Purpose. Learn how to connect with Lori in the show notes to reclaim your life and live your purpose. All right. So Lorianne, you have quite a story. You've been through some really tough stuff and um, I'm so excited to have you here to share that because I think it's going to be super inspiring. But before we dive in, I want to loosen things up a little bit more, although we've already been laughing. I just found out it's your birthday today. So um, happy birthday. What are you doing for your birthday? Thank you. I have no idea yet. (laughs) So far we've... uh... Made it to Orcas Island. Um, We got here last night. And I mean, for me personally, my gift to myself is an entire week off. I Mm. worked really hard the last two weeks to get all deadlines met for this week and part of next week. So I have a softer landing going back. But I haven't had a full week to just not think about anything work related for about 18 years. And so other than that, I'm just like, present among friends and we'll just see what happens. I don't know. (laughs) Just enjoying the time. Yeah. Just see where the day takes you. That sounds amazing. And this is the first time you've had a whole week off in 18 years. Yeah. I mean, I've taken trips and stuff, but being self-employed, it was always like, okay, I got to pay attention to, you know, voicemails and return calls and check emails at least once or twice a day. Even if it was just a couple hours, there was still that thing in the back of my mind, you know, like it wasn't just let it all go. Mm -hmm. And so, and I've had one or two days here and there, little things, but yeah, not a full week of just completely walking away for 18 years. And even then it was like, well, my son was three, my daughter was eight months old. And I can't really say it was walking away because on vacation, taking care of a toddler and an infant is not really vacation, (laughs) but (laughs) it wasn't work. So that's really, it's not the paid kind. Yeah. Um, So, you know, it's all relative. Yes, yes. Well, we're not going to talk much about work then. We're going to talk about you today. Um, (laughs) And here's a fun one for you. Do you remember who your childhood actor or actress crush was? You know, I don't recall really having crushes in the same way. Like, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't register for me that way. But the one 
character that I really, really just adored watching was MacGyver. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I loved watching MacGyver. It was the show. It was the fixing things. It was kind of this half magical, half real, like he's always got duct tape somewhere. I don't know, yeah. you know, kind of thing. It was, <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> so you more like you just really admired him. I really, really did. And I think it's because he could handle any situation. Mm -hmm. And when I was a kid in the 80s, there weren't a lot of female characters who could do something like that. I would have to go to a cartoon that was really, you know, like She-Ra was my hero. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, she could handle anything. And I just adored it. But I'm grateful to see that shifting now. But yeah, when I was a kid, it was mostly male characters that could handle themselves. And I, mm-hmm. I appreciated the independence. You know, yeah, there wasn't a lot. Man, they need to come out with like a female version of MacGyver. That's a good Oh, reboot. wouldn't that be hilarious? It his sister be. or something, or his daughter. That would, there, that would be his daughter probably, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So what's something that you can think of this, that this pandemic has brought into your life or taken away that you're actually really grateful for? You know, for me, when it first started, there was this part of me, it's like, oh, welcome to my world, because I've been working at home for 15 Mm -hmm. years. And like, all of a sudden, it was easier to connect with people because I didn't have work schedules. And people were finally understanding my world, you know, what's it like to be at home all day long, and your whole commute is down the hall, stepping over the cat, you know, I'm like, well, it's kind of fun, actually. And so there was, it was wonderful in that way. And it was also my partner and I started, uh, well, the first podcast I was on, I actually have two now, one of my own, and we still do the one together. But we started the one together, like, literally within weeks of everything shutting down. And so for us, it's been a really great chance, one, to have something positive to focus on Mm -hmm. and keep ourselves going, and two, an amazing opportunity to connect with incredible human beings around the world so far on almost every continent uh, to just interview and stay in touch with and provide something positive to the world at the same time. So Mm -hmm. it's been eye-opening in many ways, but for me personally, I've I've kind of enjoyed the journey and just because I had something good to, to focus on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the name of the podcast that you guys started? So the one he and I do together is called rise and shine, not just for mornings anymore. Love it. And uh, then the one I started at the first of this year was called you rising. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is The one I do is just for women. Uh, We talk about the spiritual journey and what it's like to actually just really be trying to figure out how to live in full alignment with Mm -hmm. our purpose and passion. And the one he and I do together is really more of a family variety show. We have all kinds of different things on, but always focused on how can we help make the world a better place. Beautiful. So they're a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. My husband and I have considered, I've been trying to talk him into doing a podcast with me for a while. We'll see if that ever happens, but I need to listen to you guys's and then see if that gets him inspired. So it sounds like that's kind of, you just, you really like to help other people. I've kind of looked over your website and I saw, I saw the name of your podcast. I haven't listened to it yet, but just from what I can tell, as I even just started to listen to the trailer, that's, that's your passion is helping others. But mm-hmm. from what I know about you, what you've already told me off the mic is that you had a pretty rough childhood. And so I want to start with that just to kind of fill everybody in that's listening. What was it like to be you as a child? Um, I was very, very introverted. I think it was just sort of natural, but in part, it was also sort of a coping mechanism because the the household was not calm. Uh, My stepfather was emotionally abusive. My mom, she did what she could to handle it, but she tolerated a lot of behaviors. And what I've come to understand as an adult is that she has her own issues as well. As a child, it was overshadowed by my stepfather. 
And so it was more just trying to get through. I did a lot of things to just stay out of the house. I got into sports and things like that just as an excuse not to be home. And really when I was there, it was a lot of being hyper vigilant of what everybody else was feeling and experiencing. So I knew when to like disappear basically. Mm -hmm. And I got really good at being invisible as much as possible. And so that's been something as an adult I've had to reverse because, you know, the coping skills in some situations are actually kind of what do you in later. And so it's been interesting to make that transition. But I mean, I grew up normalizing toxic male behavior and I, you know, and toxic in the sense that it really was abusive and nasty behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, so unfortunately my first marriage mirrored that and replicated it because I didn't know what I didn't know yet. Yeah. And, um, that's pretty common. So that happens to a lot of yeah, us. Yeah, I, I was, I was that person. <laughs> <laughs> well, you aren't alone in that for sure. In fact, I think several of my episodes have already touched on that. Most, <laughs> most of them. So you ended up getting married and, ended up getting a divorce. And we'll talk a little bit more Mm -hmm. about that um, later. After your childhood, how was your relationship with your parents as an adult? (laughs) Um, I laugh because I don't have one. Um, Yeah, I disowned my stepfather when I was a senior in high school. I think I was still 17. And that was, and I remember that day so incredibly clearly because it was, we had sort of had a little bit of, of a, I want to say a tiff or something. And I had mm-hmm. gone, my parents, they were already divorced and I'd gone to his house after school. Cause I was like, okay, we need to talk about this. That was what I wanted to do. And when he got home, I was like, okay, you know, this is what happened. Here's how I felt about that. And his response was, you're wrong. And I'm like, excuse me? Um, And I said, okay, am I wrong for how I feel or am I wrong because I'm interpreting the situation wrong somehow? And he's like, no, you're wrong for how you feel. And I, and I just, I, everything in me was like, nope, done. And you were only 17. (laughs) Yeah. Good for you. So I, I didn't say anything in my head. I'm like, okay, I'm a Taurus. So when I get angry, I know better than to say anything. <laughs> and so I thought, okay, I'll just pick up my things. I'll leave, get some fresh air and we'll talk again later. So I just started picking up my stuff without saying anything mm-hmm. and headed for the door. And clearly he interpreted that somehow because he met me at the door and he's like, okay, well, if you're going to leave, why don't we just quit this farce of a relationship? And everything in me knew it was manipulation, like every ounce of me. So I looked him dead in the eye and I just said, okay. And the look on his face, he was beyond shocked and stunned and just speechless. And I turned around and walked out and I made it to my car. I was able to drive like just a block or two before I was crying so hard I couldn't see anything. But I was at least out of sight of the house because it was devastating. I mean, he mm-hmm. was the only father figure I knew. So it's that very mixed up place where it's like, this is wrong. It's inappropriate behavior. There's, he's not treating me well. And yet he's still the only father I knew, mm-hmm. you know. So there was only one other time I saw him as an adult. It was years and years later, but I've had no relationship with him since and no desire to actually. Mm-hmm. So well, good for you. Yeah. How, how empowering. I mean, painful for sure, but mm-hmm. empowering. And, and it sounds like that's been part of your healing journey for sure. You had mentioned to me earlier that your mom had had a pretty significant illness and that was yeah. that kind of was like a, a catalyst to like your first like diving in to change your life. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So she had a brain aneurysm in 2003 and that was, so at the time my son was three years old, my daughter was 12 days old and that was when my mom went into the hospital 
And at the time, I was working with my mother-in-law in real estate. And I was supposed to be on, you know, um, maternity leave, clearly. Mm-hmm. And so my mom went into the hospital on a Tuesday. Uh, and then the next day, my mother-in-law fell down her stairs and wound up in the hospital. Uh, so then I had to go back to work. And it was early June before the real estate bubble popped. Um, so we would, it was a situation where we would put a house on the market and get 20 offers in a couple of hours. So we mm-hmm. had to time things well. And so the business was built for two, but now I'm, you know, 13 days after giving birth, trying to run the real estate business in, in a crazy market by myself. So that was Tuesday and Wednesday. And then Thursday that week, my husband's father showed up after a 20-year absence. And Whoa. so that whole side of the family is now wrapped up in processing their stuff. Yeah. And my husband at the time wasn't working. So I was the sole provider trying to manage everything. My mom was in the middle of a divorce at the time as well. And I had been with her through that whole process, which thankfully, because that was when her attorney decided to disappear and the divorce wasn't final. She's in a medical coma. They're trying to save her life. And I'm now dealing with, I think at one time that summer, I was dealing with four different attorneys to try to handle my mom's affairs because I had to get the divorce finalized without the soon-to-be ex-husband knowing what had happened to her because it had started because he had tried to kill her. And at the same time, I had to get her deemed competent enough to sign her own will and testament and give me power of attorney so I could legally take on her affairs. Um, But incompetent enough, like it was just a mess. I basically had all the attorneys sit down and go, you guys figure out the loopholes to make this work because I don't have a clue here. While running the real estate business, while dealing with a toddler and an infant, that summer was a blur. And your hormones. You had all those hormone (laughs) shifts happening. Oh, my God. I'm pretty sure, but I don't recall. Um, (laughs) I can push that aside. (laughs) Right. Well, what began to happen um, is that I got stressed out, clearly, Mm -hmm. and stopped eating gradually Mm. over time. And I, and it was too, I I was aware enough that I'm like, okay, I need to stop nursing my daughter and get her on a bottle because my eating habits are going to impact her health. Like I was aware enough of that, but what didn't occur to me is that the fact that I had been nursing was why I was eating at all. And so once I weaned her, I got to the point where I wasn't, I was literally not eating. And I lost all of the baby weight and then some. And there was a morning in, I think it was like October or November, where I was in the shower and I realized like, okay, I don't remember when I had my last last menstrual cycle, but I know I'm not pregnant and my hair's falling out. I remember looking in the mirror that morning and like finally really seeing myself after months. Mm Mm-hmm. And it, what went through my mind was, I'm already dead, and it's just a matter of time before my body follows. Oh, my God. Yeah. And that, that was the moment where, like, something in me, and the only way I can describe it would be that soul-level self. I literally heard screaming and rising up, going, no, I'm not ready to die yet. And so that was the moment I finally decided, like, okay, clearly I need to do something different with my life. Oh my God, I have chills. (laughs) So that was really the first wake up call. And that Mm -hmm. was, I remember standing in the bathroom and just kind of thinking through like, okay, well, I used to have dreams. What were they? I used to have some ambitions for my life. I used to feel alive. I used to, you know, what, what happened to all of those parts of me? And can I get them back? Mm -hmm. Can I revitalize them? Can I reconnect with them? That was when I really started that process of who have I become? And is it what I wanted? And clearly not. Um, (laughs) So it was it was definitely the first wake up call, the first step towards reclaiming my life back. Yeah, rising up. 
So did your mm-hmm. mom, did your mom um, recover? Well, she is still alive. Um, okay. She does have some permanent brain damage okay. uh, and, and some after effects. I still have power of attorney to help her manage her financial stuff, mm-hmm. which is interesting because I, we don't really have a relationship. She's more the unknown style of narcissist um, mm-hmm. in the sense that it's not like the prima donna. It's not an overt type of thing. She plays victim everything, like even the stuff that is clearly not hers. It's, she still manages to twist it somehow. Mm-hmm. So the only real difference after the brain aneurysm is she doesn't have the capacity to hide. That's what she's doing anymore um, oh, before she could hide it. It, yeah. yeah, it's it's been fascinating. So I'm literally like the only person in her life now. And even then, it's pretty much just to handle the financial stuff. Because mm. I, I can't tell her anything about my life where she tells literally everyone. <laughs> um, and it's like, that's not appropriate. Mom. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's like, I can't tell her anything. Yeah. It is what it is. Yeah. So yeah. So you've it's lost. Interesting. <laughs> Yeah. So it sounds to me, you know, you have definitely lost the mom that you knew. So from my, from my perspective, the only thing that has changed is that she can't hide it anymore. But Mm. I saw those characteristics in her when I was a child, we never had a relationship because of it. It's the only difference now is that other people are finally understanding what I've been talking Mm -hmm. about all these years. So there's some comfort there. Yeah. Um, but she's, she always has been that person mm-hmm. um, and has never chosen otherwise. I've had some pretty direct conversations with her about it, and she has been very clear that she chooses this and, oh. and chooses her way of being. So it's like, well, okay, I guess that's your choice. Yeah. Well, it sounds like then your things are just really pretty much clear. Um, I think so. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, there are ways I've had to figure out how to be a parent, be a mom, be a person by the examples of what not to be instead Mm -hmm. of what to be. Yeah. And that's like, okay, so I know what not to be, but now there's a whole lot of what do I do instead. Yeah. So that in itself has been an interesting journey. Yeah, definitely. You were still married at the time that you had this first big epiphany. Am am I getting that correct? Yeah. Did you also then decide you didn't want to be in that marriage anymore around that same time? (laughs) (laughs) Ultimately speaking, I would say that it did lead to that, but Uh it did take a number of years. Um, There were so many layers to work through for me personally. Um, And at one point he actually did make a tremendous effort Mm -hmm. Um, and we had a really good year in there somewhere Um, (laughs) and of course you know with the kids and things my son has Asperger's and um, he really needed more special attention and so they're you know extenuating circumstances I guess and things were so difficult and challenging that I wound up in a place where I didn't have an income for Mm -hmm. a while as well, especially near the end. It was just things, everything fell apart pretty much. Um, I got laid off and couldn't find another job. And it was like, okay, well, now I'm sort of trapped. What do I do next? I would say, let's see, from about, it was four or five years between that. And I would say, you know, somewhere along the line, I probably fell back to sleep too. Like I had to Mm -hmm. wake back up again. And, you know, that kind of place yes you know two steps forward one back and yeah see how far that gets you um (laughs) and I I had a lot of healing to do it was a process yeah and and a process that ultimately led to what you say your your actual children your own children then divorcing you I want to know about that so that's that's the that's the deep (laughs) end let's get let's get into the deep end now Um, absolutely yeah so let's see I divorced my um husband when the kids were I want to say nine and six 
kind of as a general reference. And then, of course, being a single parent and we shared custody. Those years were, I mean, I wound up taking him back to court at least two times. I know child services investigated him a couple of times. I had the kids in counseling as well because I knew like, okay, I've got my own healing to do here after clearly an abusive marriage. Uh, One of the reasons I left him was because he raped me near the end and I knew I would have some healing to do from that. Yeah. Clearly. Um, So I had the kids in, in counseling. My, that was when my son was finally diagnosed with the Asperger's as well as part of that. So then we were trying to figure out, okay, how do we work with this information? And he actually fought me. He didn't want to have our son um, evaluated at all. And I, basically did it behind his back to get all of us help. So they were in counseling and I wound up putting myself in counseling as well to do some very deep trauma related therapy. I went through EMDR um, Mm. therapy and that style really helps rewire the brain around PTSD and trauma related types of things. And I chose to do that because I thought, you know, I need to heal me. I want to make sure that I can somehow give my children a better example of what life can be Mm -hmm. from the healing process. I really wanted to give the kids a good life. I also knew that if I went deep enough into the healing and was able to rewire my brain and started responding to the world in a healthier way, I would potentially come across as a different person in some ways. And to me, I was looking forward to that. Like, okay, how can I respond to the world healthier and have better boundaries Mm -hmm. and show my kids what this means to be a better person and a better mom and, and all of those things. That process took several years and there were, you know, some other adventures in between, I guess you could say, but (laughs) As I was sort of coming out of that, you know, the kids were turning 12 and 15. So they're now, you know, the teen, preteen, starting to go through this process of, you know, disconnecting anyway, or at least finding themselves somehow. Yeah. I thought we had been pretty close up to that point. They had not been very close with their dad through some of the counseling, because I I forced him into counseling with the kids to try to straighten out so the kids could feel safe at his house. And there were a number of times over those years where I would go to the counselors and go, look, you know, the kids are in counseling. He's with them doing counseling. Is there anything I need to do at my home? And she'd be like, well, no, the kids feel safe with you. They enjoy being with you you just keep doing whatever you're doing. And so that was always the message I heard was keep doing what mm, you're doing. So you had no idea that this was coming. None. Oh, it, wow. It blindsided me as I came to the end of, of the therapy that I was doing. I, and I really kind of felt like I was sort of reemerging into the world. Mm-hmm. And I was and I knew I was responding differently. And I liked that. I was like, oh, that was a healthy response to the situation. Like I could tell the difference. Mm -hmm. And I was excited by that. That was about the time too, the kids actually came to me and were like, hey, mom, you know, you've been so single for so long. Um, We would love to see you dating. And I'm like, well, you know, I might be open to that. Maybe we'll see if I meet somebody, you know, but I don't know. And then It was just a couple of months later, I actually did wind up meeting somebody um, through our spiritual community and we connected. And and as that began to grow, my son's Asperger's, um, he's extremely intelligent, but he doesn't understand facial expressions or voice tones. And so Mm -hmm. there can be a lot of misunderstanding in social situations, especially with new people. And so that got very interesting. And he's the 15 year old at that stage. And so the hormones are kicking in. He's getting more aggressive and assertive and, Mm -hmm. you know, all of those dynamics. And now there's this new man in mom's life 
he, I can't call it, he wasn't a partner yet. We hadn't been dating long enough. He's still in my life now. So I call him my partner. (laughs) But, uh, you know, at that point, we'd only been dating, I think it was about six months or so. Um, So this is the man you're still with? Right. Okay. Okay. So you had been there six months or so. Um, and we thought, okay, we'll take the kids camping. It was in August. We'll try to do something that creates more of a family bond or community bond or, you know, work something out or, you know, create something, Mm -hmm. do something with all of us. So we took the kids camping and my son really didn't want to go, but it's like, well, you're 15. You need to come with us. I'm not leaving you home alone. And it's not time with dad. So I felt it was appropriate that he come with us. And I said, you know, you can decide to enjoy it or you can decide to be miserable. That's your choice, <laughs> but you're coming. Yeah. You know, like, and I, I didn't think that was inappropriate. No, I've said that to my you're children 15. several times, especially my teenager. You have to force right. them. <laughs> you know, they're just You'll never do things. stuff with you if you don't force them sometimes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sorry, but it's true. So, yeah, you made him, I mean, so you made him come along. I did. Um, and he, for the most part, chose to be miserable about it. Um, <laughs> I'm like, okay. I know that choice, too. Whatever. Yep. <laughs> um, but there was one of the days we were out, we were at a lake and my daughter came up from the shore. They had both been down there and she was upset. And I finally got out of her that my son had been throwing rocks at her. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go talk to him. So I go down to talk to him. And as I got close enough, he kind of grabbed a bunch of rocks and tossed them in my direction. And I'm like, whoa, not okay. And he started walking away. Um, So I got in front of him and stopped him. I was like, no, we need to talk about this. This is not appropriate. This is not going to work. And rather than talk with me or address it or take responsibility, he raised his hand in a clenched fist and threatened to hit me. And having been in that position with his dad in the past, I knew that it's a bully tactic and you got to stare him down. Mm -hmm. So I'm standing there literally toe to toe with my 15 year old son who's taller than I am and stronger than I am and just staring at him. Mm Mm-hmm. And he did drop his arm and wound up just going off. And he pretty much disappeared into the woods for the rest of the day. Of course, at that point, the adrenaline hits me and I was shaking and um, mad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go for a walk. I'm just, I need to walk and figure this out. And things calmed down. The next day, um, I thought they were going better. I thought we had worked it out, but it was time to clean up and head back and and he got in this habit of like he'd you know go over and grab one of the tarps and like come back and throw it down and it's like no that's not appropriate come back fold it correctly do it again mm-hmm. and then he'd get that taken care of he'd go off he'd bring something over and throw it down it's like no pick it up do it again and we just kept doing this and it's like hey as long as you're going to keep doing it wrong you're going to keep doing it again yeah <laughs> which you know irritated him and he started getting mad and I'm like, well, you could do it right the first time. Of course, he didn't. And my partner, he, he was mostly silent, trying to stay out of it, let mom handle it, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. He did finally get frustrated enough that he made some comments and was like, you know, hey, you know, you got to shape up and, and that kind of thing. And that was when my son, I heard him mutter under, my, under his breath. He's, he said, you know, if he doesn't shut up, I'm going to kill him. And I'm like, that's not okay. Wow, yeah. The next thing I know, my son is toe-to-toe with this man I've been dating all of six months. Mm -hmm. And my daughter was less than a foot away from the two of them. And I had to do this checklist in my head, like, instantaneously of, like, do I get in the way? Do I stay out of it? Do I grab my daughter? Do I, what the heck do I do? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so I just grabbed my daughter and got her out of the way with just enough time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Cause I, I knew it's like, if I try to stop this, it's just going to boil over again later. If I get in the middle of it, all of us are hurt. If Mm -hmm. I do nothing, all of us are hurt, you know, like just instantaneously goes, went through my head. So I grabbed my daughter 
and pulled her back just in time. My son threw the first punch um, and then they were wrestling on the ground. From my perspective, my son really was just the look on his face and how hard he was trying to swing. He was really trying to do damage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, like you said, he wanted to kill him. My, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. My partner was doing everything he could just to hold him down and pin mm-hmm. him down and stop him. He wasn't reciprocating. He was trying to protect himself. Yeah. But he wasn't hitting back. He, yeah. he, he did finally get him pinned, which, of course, ticked him off that much more. But he finally just let it go and relaxed. So when we got back to town, I let my son and my ex-husband know that my son can't be at my house until there's a behavior agreement of some kind. It's not mm-hmm. safe. He threatened was reasonable. Me. He threatened yeah. my daughter. He mm-hmm. started a fight. This isn't okay. Yeah. Um, so I put together a behavior plan and would not allow my son back. Like I can't. I just can't for safety reasons. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. Very my healthy boundaries. That's what I thought, yeah. but apparently that's not how it was perceived because that was the trigger. Mm. Because what happened from there was my son refused to even consider a behavior plan. Mm-hmm. My ex-husband started texting me and telling me I had a victim complex. Within a couple of weeks, of course, my son is using the same language. Well, you just have a victim complex. Wow. And he had also said, well, you know, I talked to all my friends and they all said that, you know, it was totally fine that I started that fight. I'm like, your friends are 15 and 16 too. And I'm pretty certain (laughs) they weren't there. Right. Um, (laughs) Sorry. And I said, you know, okay, let all of that go. You, you threatened me. Mm -hmm. And he was like, well, but I didn't actually hit you. So it was fine. And I'm like, okay, my son's getting all of the wrong messages and lessons out of this. Mm -hmm. My ex-husband is clearly not holding him accountable. And I'm somehow becoming the bad guy. Mm -hmm. How fascinating. And of course, the more I tried to defend or say, the worse it got. Within about a month or two months of that, it had degraded to the point that my daughter wasn't wanting to spend any time with me anymore because I was being so horrible and nasty to my son and hurting my son because my son was telling everybody I was abandoning him and choosing this guy in my life over him. And I'm like, it has nothing to do with that. Mm -hmm. But that was the story everybody started to believe. Mm -hmm. Of course. So I think it was sometime in November, my daughter, I was seeing her and she said, well, we've decided either you need to break up with this guy in your life or we'll never talk to you again. It just, everything in me kind of broke because I was like, okay, that's a power trip. That's mm-hmm. not a relationship. Yeah. And I, I, I did not react as, as well as I wish I would have. It was a shock to me and I was overly emotional. So I wish I would have had that conversation in a calmer manner. But at that moment, I, I just, I'm like, excuse me? Right. <laughs> um, just, just, you're 12 and 15. Uh-huh. I can't even this imagine. Not, so there's, no, there is no playbook on how to handle that. <laughs> no, there's not. Oh. There's not even close to. And I, I am personally somebody like you do not give an ultimatum unless you're yeah. ready to end the relationship. Like, yeah. because that's pretty much what's going to happen. Told my kids, I said, you know what? I'm not playing this game. I will not choose you and I will not choose him. I will choose me because I do not believe in ultimatums. And I said, and I don't know what it looks like right now, Mm -hmm. but what I would like is to find a third way and a third path where we can work these things out. That's what I want, but I will not play the ultimatum. Mm -hmm. And I tried telling her because it's like, you know, if I choose my kids, then I've given them power that does not belong to them over my life. And that's beyond inappropriate. Yeah. If I choose him, well, who the hell does that make me? Mm. I've been dating him six months. This is not appropriate. Yeah. That and I knew too, ultimately speaking, if I did choose him, there's also that 
energy and the relationship was like, well, but I gave up my kids for you. And so you have to, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, that's not who I am. No. So choosing you is the only option you had. And in the end, I was also aware that I could wind up completely alone with nobody Mm -hmm. also. I mean, like there, there's no good option in that situation for me. So that was, I think that was about November-ish. By January, they actually um, served me paperwork to take it to the courts to take away my parenting rights. Um, So that's why I use the word divorce, because Mm -hmm. they actually did go through the courts to do it. And that process took about a year. Um, I did try over and over and over again through that process to find a different way. And they wouldn't respond and so there were, there were a number of places in that that just standing in the unknown where my kids are pulling away and, and not in a natural way that kids do. I mean, it, the whole situation was just a mess. You know, the unknown, it's like, okay, well, I, I'm not, I'm still dating this person, but I need to pull away just enough to find my center and figure out who I am and make sure that it, at the very least, at the end of the day, I know what I made my choice based on, no matter what anybody else thinks or believes or sees. I have mm-hmm. to know I chose in a way that I can live with whatever the outcome might be. Mm-hmm. So I had to find that place for myself, basically what I did was every time I walked by a mirror for that entire year, I would stop and ask myself again, who do I choose to be and how do I choose to walk through this? In that process, a couple of things I kind of began to realize was first and foremost, I had to base my life on something and realizing I had based my life on being a mom my self-identity was shattered. I didn't, you know, who am I now if I don't have my kids and what Mm -hmm. does that mean? And I realized my life is really between me, myself and God or universe or spirit or whatever higher power exists. Mm -hmm. And there is nothing else because everyone else will come and go. Even if that same person is right. That the one relationship I thought would always be Mm -hmm. there. Yeah. Um, But I mean, even if you're with somebody for decades, they go to the grocery store and you're still by yourself, even if it's only 20 minutes, like Mm -hmm. literally you are the only person you have to live with. Yeah. Everyone else is a choice. And so I had to find that place in me and it wound up creating sort of a, I want to say a polarity reversal. I had spent, well, all of my life up to that point, very focused on who do I need to be for this other person? Mm-hmm. whether it was as a coping mechanism to avoid something or being mom to do something or whatever. It was, always, it was a very outward focus. You know, who does my boss need me to be? Who does my coworker? Who does my child need me to be? Who does my husband need me to be? Who does my mom need me to be? Mm-hmm. You know, so there was finally this place of recognition of, well, who do I need me to be? It was painful in a way that I don't know that I have words for. I was very clear that my son was manipulating things. And I actually have, I actually have it documented for better or worse. He had, there was a handwritten note he wrote um, that indicates that there's a couple of text messages and even the court appointed attorney that were representing my kids. um, The last meeting me, my attorney, and and he had, he let me know that it was very clear to him that my son was manipulating everything and making up the stories. And he expressed his sorrow in that, which I thought was surprising since he's representing my kids. Mm-hmm. That yeah. he would share that. That's very telling. Yeah. And that was, he's like, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to reconnect with your son right now. You're just mm-hmm. not because of this. He said, and your daughter isn't seeing through any of it, you might have the opportunity if you can get her into counseling. Um, but she is being manipulated by both the ex-husband and her brother. I said, you know, I will do anything. I said, I will figure out how to pay for the counseling. I'll do whatever it takes. I said, but I won't force her to be there. Mm -hmm. She, at that stage, she was 13 
And I'm like, I'm not forcing a 13-year-old into counseling with me. She has to choose to be there. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. Yeah. And she chose not to. So I lost both of my kids in that process. I would say it took me about three years to really move through just the grief. Yeah. And all of the associated confusing emotions, the shame, the guilt, Mm -hmm. the anger, the sadness, the complete, like, who am I now? Mm -hmm. I, you know, am I still a mother if I don't have my kids, you know? And even the level of like, even the days when I would start feeling happy, then I'd feel guilty because I was happy because, you know, like, can I still be happy? Because you're supposed to be just sad and depressed and hating yourself forever. (laughs) That's what good moms would do, right? Right. Well, and it's very confusing. Mm -hmm. It's beyond confusing. And then there's a place of, which I hate to admit, and it sounds really, really horrible, but there's this place in me every once in a while where I'm like, if they were actually gone, at least there'd be closure, but they're mm-hmm. still alive and there's no closure. There's never been any closure. And I absolutely know that anybody who has actually had a child die would prefer to be in my shoes. And I don't yeah. actually wish that on anybody. So I'm, I, I just, it, it's just part of that. It's part of your emotional process. confusion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just because there's, there has never been any closure. And so I'm living in this space of, well, what if maybe someday, probably not. And I have to give myself permission to have my own life and move forward. Yeah. It's just, that wasn't easy. (laughs) Definitely not easy. (laughs) How How long ago was the last time you saw your kids? Um, let's see. So my son, the last time I actually saw or spoke to him would have been 2016. Um, my daughter, there, she had kind of tried reconnecting with me. I think it was 2017 very briefly. And that went very, very horribly in the end, but really I haven't had a relationship with them since, since they gave me the ultimatum and that was 2015. So I know my son is, is now 21. My daughter is turning 18 um, next month. So I have missed all those years so Mm -hmm. far. Yeah. Sad. Even, I mean, because you, you can still be healed and hoping and wishing for different outcomes. Um, and do you? Do you do you still have thoughts that they're going to walk into your life someday and you're all going to heal together? And I mean, and <laughs> well, it's still ever, like in your, you know, just random thing, you know, you start to go down that way. And it sounds like just from the little I know about you and what you've said so far is, you know, that you can't sit in those thoughts for a long time if they do come, because why, why spin out like that? But do you still sometimes hope and wish for that kind of outcome? Well, hope and wish. uh, Sure. I mean, it would be (laughs) nice to have, if not reconciliation, at least some kind of closure because they don't know my side of the story. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that part bothers me. Yeah. But there's a certain reality because my, my biological father, um, I'm actually just reconnected with like last year. Oh, okay. And never had a relationship with him in that disconnection. I know it's very difficult mm-hmm. to really have that closeness. So there's a certain reality that I'm aware of in the sense that one, my son I believe he knows what he did. Mm -hmm. And so for him to come around, he's going to have to admit that he lied and manipulated a situation and admit and take responsibility for a whole lot of things. And with the Asperger's, I know that's kind of slim of a chance that he'll go there. My daughter's journey would be to have to come to the realization that she was manipulated by both her dad and her brother. Mm -hmm. And, I think she would have the strength, but that is a long, difficult emotional journey that she has to go on. Mm-hmm. And so I, while I, yes, I hope I 
don't know how likely it is mm-hmm. yeah. to be honest. Yeah. You can't spend and, a time putting energy into that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Things that you had said um, in your, in your bio was that there was a choice that you made along the way that if you'd chosen differently, you might still have them in your life. Um, and you said, but I couldn't, I would have lost even more. Can you elaborate on what else you, what you would have lost? What does that mean? So that goes back to the ultimatum in that, you know, yes, I could have chosen to have my kids in my life, mm-hmm. but that would have given them power Yeah, so like in you the said. sense, because then, I mean, the next time I go to date somebody they don't like, what's to stop them from yeah, giving me an exactly. ultimatum again? I exactly. mean, it's just not a healthy thing. Yeah. So I would have lost me even mm-hmm. more, which was what I was trying to recover in the first yes. place. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so you found yourself, then you were on the brink of possibly losing yourself again, and then you had to rebuild yourself. What were some of the things over those three years that you did once again in your healing process to, to bring you to the point now where you're a person who... You, you spend your career, your mission is helping other people live joyful lives. And in fact, something that I love, a quote from you on your website was, when we connect with our wise one within, we begin to live a wow kind of life. How are you this person now <laughs> after all that? <laughs> um, well, I would say there's a couple of things that I, I did. Um, one in particular was to not shut down the emotions again, to not avoid them, to, to actually keep processing them. And it took three years of sitting with them basically. And yes, there were days where I chose the extra glass of wine and had a night off. There were, you know, other coping mechanisms, but I wouldn't, I didn't allow myself to get completely lost in them. I chose to keep processing the emotions and chose to keep, showing up to who I could now be. I knew that I was rebuilding myself. Um, It was very difficult to decide to find something I could put my whole heart into again, Mm -hmm. because it had been so broken by the last thing I put it all into my kids. Being honest with myself around that and learning how to just really listen Because what I've discovered is that underneath every emotion, even the worst ones, there's a really beautiful, positive message. And by staying in touch with those emotions, I got to know myself. I got to the gifts that were underneath everything. I rediscovered myself. And I've rediscovered and strengthened my intuition Um, And even, you know, my empathic abilities and have discovered an ability to channel and do some other things I wasn't aware of before because I worked through those things. Um, And just I gave myself permission to have really awful bad days. There were several times I was suicidal, but chose to like, okay, I'll just sleep on it and keep breathing, there has got to be a reason and a purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes. So just giving myself permission to be where I was at Mm -hmm. and keep putting one step in front of the other. Um, And you're an award-winning author. So mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about your book. Before we Um, we sign off, we can't can't not talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. That that book actually was born out of the first awakening after my mom's aneurysm. Oh, okay. To be honest, um, I got into, I, I got a life coach and she literally saved my life and I fell in love with life coaching. And part of that process then was really like, okay, who am I if I let go of all the societal stuff? Who am I if I let go of all of the familial, family-related you know, expectations? Who am I if I let go of all the stuff I've been taught? Or, you know, is there a part of me that I could get to that just is? that maybe even extends beyond this life, but is just the true core of who I am without all of the other layers of, of whatever we've been taught. Mm-hmm. 
And that's what that book really is about, is getting into that core of who we are, what we are, and being able to articulate it in a very clear, concise way so that we can live it more easily and experience that wow. And so it's, it's a very simplified process. It almost looks like too simple on the surface, but those I've worked with through it have found so much clarity and so much, I want to say centeredness, like, oh, there's my backbone. That's who I am. Yeah. And it is that place. Like I can say now for sure today, like I've been challenged by a couple of people. It's like, oh, well, you need to do this. You need to do that. And I'm like, okay, I gave up my kids to be who I am. Where do you think you stand? Like, just, just let's get real clear here. Yeah. Um, so, oh, I love it. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you have pretty rock solid boundaries and it's clear. You're not going to waste your time with people. <laughs> it has been very clarified. Yeah. For sure. But to be able to get people to that level of centeredness and clarity without necessarily having to go through the trauma um, is really the goal. And some people, you know, there's so much that has happened over the last year. The people I think, especially women are already in that journey mm -hmm. and feeling lost. And so to be able to give them tools that can help them clarify and recenter and move forward so that they're not staying in that lost place, mm -hmm. um, sometimes for years is, is where it can lead. So that's really what that book is, is okay. a, a very, on the surface, simplified, but um, everyone that I've walked through or has read it is like, it's, it's a really profound way of working through that stuff that's mm -hmm. tremendously helpful. Would I be wrong in saying that you probably used a lot of what you put in that book to help you in those three years after your kids divorced you? I did. Actually, I, <laughs> I, I did. I went back to my own work. I'm like, nice. hey, I did this work once before. This is a whole nother deeper level. Yes. And I did. I went back through and went through all the exercises myself. Beautiful. Good. And, and did the work. Yep. Yeah. Literally practicing <laughs> what you preach. Yes. Um, have you written any other books since? Well, there's a couple of them planned. I have okay. not gotten them written yet. This, especially this well, up until the last year or two, it's really been more focused on who do I choose to be now and how is that going to express itself? And so now that I've found that, it's been focusing on, you know, there's the podcast that I'm working on and clarifying just more and more how I'm showing up and, and doing more of the mentoring, doing more of the coaching, doing more channeled readings, um, and just really enjoying that process of re-engaging with life at a whole new level. Uh, it's just been so much fun, actually. Mm. Um, and so, yes, the books will come. I have two of them planned. One's uh, more, I want to say, the spiritual journey, and the other is kind of more the my perspective on on the journey with my kids because of course in any interview I just can't get it all in so um they will come in their own time is yeah. what I can say wonderful okay and before we say goodbye because I know you have some birthday fun stuff that you're going to try to get into <laughs> do you have any words of wisdom any parting words to someone listening that they themselves are faced with a really tough choice that could change their life. Mm. I would simply say, first and foremost, love yourself. Find a way to honor who you are, regardless of anything else. Because, yes, it's going to be a painful journey. Hopefully others will come around but at the end of the day, you have to live with you and there is no exception. Mm. So who do you choose to be is going to be the most important question. Because, I mean, for me personally, I think one of the things my mom's aneurysm really taught me was that, you know, at the end of my life, I would rather say I tried and failed than to ever wonder what if I had. 
I need to feel like I truly lived this life all out. And that's not going to work for everybody around me. I'm going to irritate some people. <laughs> so, and clearly I have. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I, I need to be me though. This is mm -hmm. my life. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Lorianne. That was awesome. Really appreciate you sharing Thank that you. story. And I, I do hope that, the book comes out because like you said, there's not enough time on one podcast for such a complicated journey. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's not. And I wouldn't wish it on anybody. <laughs> no. Thank you so much. Uh I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Our stories may be different, but we all have one thing in common. We're all trying to figure out how to navigate life on this planet, and none of us have it completely figured out. No matter what you're going through in your life, just know that you are never really alone. Come back every Wednesday for more inspiration and connection, and follow me on Instagram at thedragonflymama.com so we can stay in touch between episodes. Take care. Mm -hmm.